Hello and welcome to the Permanent Good Podcast, a podcast that is part movie club, part improv comedy. My name is Craig Wells, aka Permanent Handle. Brother, I'm scared. It's dark in here. Okay, well that's... I, I hear you, but I don't see anything. Alright, just turn turn the light switch on. D- did you turn the light switch on? Can you see now? Yes, I can. Uh, I am Andrew Wells, if you have not already gathered. Um, Andrew Wells, a.k.a. my brother, a.k.a. the frequent sponsor, sponsor of the podcast. Yeah. So, Andrew, you tell me, um, how has your life changed since becoming, you know, world-renowned sponsor extraordinaire of the Permanent Good podcast? I've gotten a lot of recognition on the street, just constantly being stopped. Like, can't go anywhere, can't do anything without someone's like, oh my god, you're that guy who sponsors the Permanent Good podcast. And when they stop you, and when they stop you on the streets... You know, typically when celebrities get stopped on the streets, they usually, like, hey, say your famous catchphrase, like, 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 uh, did I do that and stuff like that. So, like, what do people ask you to say? Like, what's your kind of like catchphrase? Uh, they don't ask me for my catchphrase. They're mostly like, can I also get your HBO <laughs> Max username and password? <laughs> like, 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 listen, listen, the Snyder Cut comes out really soon and I want to watch it. Yeah, that's. It's that, uh, at first it was uh, Wonder Woman 64, but we all know how that turned out, so. Yeah, especially, yeah, we all know how Andrew feels about it, because he can't even remember the correct title of the movie, because it was Wonder Woman 1984. 84. Yeah, it is. That's my bad. <laughs> um, yeah, so we are on week two of Alex's uh, parental absence. I want to get one thing clear. We scheduled two weeks for Alex to have this kid and like get back into a routine. And that so kid has not come in. That kid has not shown up yet. We have recorded both episodes of the podcast that he was on that he like took off for like whatever paternity leave he needed. And he could have done both of them. Is still not he outside of his wife. He, he could have. Okay. Well, don't put it like that. Is it not accurate? It's t- biologically accurate, societally accurate coin flip Eh, close enough for me so what i'm saying audience when alex does come back next week maybe maybe expect dad brain he's because he's we gave him two weeks off and he's had to use none of it oh before we get started uh this is um whenever alex isn't here this is the opportunity i like to pose to our guest hosts uh do you want to do you want to do any alex slander since he's not here to defend himself. I just want to say, as nice as Alex is, nine times out of ten, it's that tenth time. He's just a real... Okay, what you just heard, what you just heard was Andrew going through 14 different curse words and not being able to say any of them because I told him not to curse. (laughs) That was 100% it. On that tenth time... Alex is a real strong opinion holder. <laughs> oh, and he will hear you say that, and he will like add that to his chest of honor. A hundred percent. It's like every. It's like whenever you confront him on that tenth item, that's a little problematic. It immediately becomes a point of pride that you are never going to be able to talk about of. Which is why I'm so glad that you are here for this movie that we're about to discuss. Because I'm going to talk about something that I know that he would not want to discuss. Um, <laughs> to interpret that how you will. Uh, we watched uh, a movie for our decades month. This We are now in the 50s era. And we watched the Marilyn Monroe movie, Some Like It Hot. And which came out in 59. Okay. And Gone with the Wind came out in 1939. And we can still consider that a 30s movie. Don't fight me, Andrew. No, I'm going from your 40s movie literally came out in 1940. And your 50s movie came out in 59. I'm like, you literally couldn't have a bigger jump and still be within the constraints. That's like comparing the first speed movie to Avengers Endgame. 
And that's something that we're going to talk about. But if you do not want to hear us talk about, you know, this 60-year-old movie, uh, you know, I, I'm not your dad, unless I am. Son. Uh, no, he, no, that's Alex's thing, and that's even stepdad. Come on, get it straight. Okay, you're right. Andrew's the only person that will do podcast references with us, because he's the only one that knows them. Me and Macy, but good luck getting Macy on a microphone. <laughs> Uh, if you want to skip the movie, we're not going to do a spoiler section. Whatever. Who cares? Um, we're just going to lump it all into one. Yeah. So if you want to skip that, uh, here's your time code for that. Time code 2915. Some like it hot. White girls, but in the 50s. <laughs> and somehow less problematic. Somehow less problematic, but still quite problematic. Yeah. So... There are two major things that I want to talk about before we get into the discussion of the actual movie itself. Um, Andrew watched this before I did. And as I was kind of like, I saw some scenes in passing. And what really blew me away is that this movie was made in 1959 and it was still in black and white. And so while I was at work today, it was kind of driving me crazy. Like, how are some studios making four hour Technicolor masterpieces and 20 years later? Um, production companies are still making black and white movies. Like that just didn't make sense to me. For me, so it, it wasn't so much that the movie was in black and white; it's that the thumbnail on Amazon Prime Video was in color. And oh yeah, the they did all the movie wasn't. posters in color. Yeah, they did all the movie posters in color because you know I was very much expecting some color <laughs> at some point that never happened. Yeah, so I looked it up. Because I, like, it was legitimately bothering me. Why was this movie not in color? And I learned a lot about film history. And if you already knew this, congrats. Keep it to yourself. But if you didn't, you're going to learn something new. Um, The first of it being that <laughs> the way color films were first made is um, it would print three films. Or it would produ- produce three rolls of film one cyan one magenta and one yellow and then you would have to manually put all three of those together to create one film reel and that took a long time if you'd believe it i i can see that yeah um and then on top of that the lighting for color pictures was was super hard because it had to stay like immaculately consistent throughout the entire picture. Otherwise it was going to look like super wonky. And also um, studios just didn't want to essentially throw away all the equipment that they had to buy color equipment that they didn't know was going to sell basically. Um, okay, so, so just to cut you off for a second there, he's like, the fact that they didn't think that there was a pot, the fact that they did think that there was a possibility that people weren't going to want to watch color movies is like, I understand not wanting to sell, like, you just get rid of equipment because they probably spent a lot, a lot of money on it. So, can I tell that you? They didn't want to change over in fear of color not being as popular baffles me can i tell you why i because the article that i read said that uh it is because a lot of when the scarce um color movies did come out a lot of the film critics um said that oh color is too gaudy and color is too vulgar and color is too feminine and movie critics are you calling your entire life gaudy and feminine? Because guess what? You live in a world of color. And so I just thought that. And so I texted um, Kayla that like, dude, they literally didn't move on to color because they thought it was too feminine. And I thought that was just hilarious. And then, you know, there's um, some other like tertiary factors, like the company that had the monopoly on color media, Technicolor. Um, kind of tanked during World War II because the country had other things on its mind. Uh, understandable. Understandable. And then it tanked again because in the 50s, 
television came out and television was in black and white. So movies catered their appearance to what people were used to seeing at home, which is black and white television. So what, so when movies had the technology to be color consistently, people just didn't want it because they had all black and white TV. That just seems so comparing apples and oranges. Like, yes, they're both fruit, but some people like one, some people like the other. People who like the other are going to spend the money on color if they like color, and nothing's going to change that. Yeah, so I don't agree with their reasonings. Obviously, you know, we didn't live through that time period, so we couldn't influence it. But, you know, hindsight, it seems kind of arbitrary. You know, if we're going to end in color, no matter what, mm-hmm. why resist it? But again, that's all hindsight. But it's like, yeah, that's uh, taking a look at that everything was inevitable, that all of history was inevitable how it played out. I'm sure there's definitely some scenarios where black and white prevailed and we would still be in black and white movies today. Yeah. And so the other thing that, I want to talk about before we get into like the plot of this movie. Actually, it involves the plot of this movie. So if you are not familiar with this movie, which I was not, um, the short synopsis is two guys are musicians at a speakeasy during Prohibition. Like right, 29. Yeah, right before the Great Depression. Like they make a few jokes like the economy is never like uh, the economy will never crash. Blah, 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 blah. Um, and they escape from uh the speakeasy raid so the cops come in and bust it and they were able to sneak out through the fire escape and then they not immediately after but pretty soon after they accidentally stumble upon a gangster killing six people and become two accidentally become two key witnesses against a mob boss so they disguise themselves as women and travel across the country with a all girls band to try to escape this mob boss. That's the long and short of it. They go from Chicago to Florida, which personally having been to both places, I don't know why they didn't jump on that opportunity sooner. <laughs> it's like women's it's like dresses are pretty dang comfortable. It's like, I know a lot of women's apparel is, uncomfortable but dresses themselves are pretty comfortable okay current dresses yes 1920s dresses but this is also flappers dresses so they were like but think of all what were what did they call the underneath bits that was the worst thing i could have said (laughs) yeah just a little bit uh whatever they called underwear and like the stockings and nonsense you know what i'm talking about yeah um and so when I described that plot to you, um, when I watched that, I'm like, oh, this movie was made in the 60s, and it's about two guys cross-dressing for the entire movie. There's no way this doesn't end with any sort of transphobia. And, like, there were a few jabs and, like, a few, like, jokes that didn't age well. But it in was, my opinion... It was more homophobia jokes Yeah, than there was a lot more homophobia, homophobia jokes. And in the end... It wasn't really that transphobic. And so I, I and so I think the biggest reason it wasn't transphobic was just because there wasn't really a concept of being trans at the time. Yeah. So I looked up an article just to double check to make sure that I wasn't just perpetuating this notion. And like yeah, like people generally agree that like yeah, some jokes didn't age well, but like there's a character that you can make a very strong argument like mm-hmm. if they grew up in today's society probably would have been a transgender woman, you know? Yeah. And uh, I, I, there are not jokes that are based in, you know, <laughs> um, discomfort about being a woman or cross-dressing or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Like they don't use any slurs or anything. And once I got that idea, I'm like, oh, this movie is actually kind of handling it very well. It was, a, I thought it was a pretty good experience. I had a lot of fun with it. 
Uh, I had my own. I had some issues with the movie. I did tell me about not, it. I did not enjoy it, but uh, it was more of how they made movies back then and what they thought good or good comedy or good cinematography was that I personally just didn't like. So I thought it was okay, but it wasn't like. If I had never seen it, I wouldn't have been upset, and I don't plan on ever watching it again. So I definitely had that thought process of, oh, this is an old comedy. I'm probably not going to, like, the humor is probably super aged, and it's not going to be funny to me anymore. But then, during the first scene, our two protagonists see a cop walk in and sit down and put his badge on, and the two of them look at each other and slowly and quietly pack their instruments away and slowly climb out the back door and it is like it is perfect timing like i have so many issues with the onstage etiquette this movie presents and oh. oh okay yeah so there's a scene towards the very end where they're doing a performance on stage and there are characters just having straight up conversations at full volume and at, conversations okay the but flowers okay, are being brought up right to them but i've also been to many like collegiate band concerts and i see those percussionists in the back they will literally walk away from their instrument talk to somebody and then walk back to play their part so i'm like all right i it makes sense i'm willing to let this slide but they'll do it while they're playing They'll just have full-blown conversations while playing. And it's like, I can almost understand some of the girls who had been in the band for a while. But these guys have literally been there for days. and are But they were trained musicians. Like, they were so, good musicians. Yeah, I understand they were trained and were good musicians. But do you, they're good enough to memorize an entire piece and be able to hold a conversation while playing that in the course of a week? Well, um, they were playing jazz. And, like club jazz is very improvisational so basically the reason why like that first rehearsal in the train probably went so well in terms of like a non-musician's standpoint is they were probably like all right we're in the key of b flat this is our tempo keep up baby that's just how jazz is uh also while we're on the topic of like the band and stuff the band during the opening credits that to discredit the band or anything it's i think it was mostly the recording equipment that they had at the time sucked yeah and there were definitely times where like marilyn monroe was singing but didn't quite match up mm-hmm. uh and you know product of the times that's you know <laughs> although i did my favorite scene on the planet and i showed it to andrew even though he had already seen it, I just wanted to make sure that he saw it, is there's a scene when they're on the train, and um, I forget who it, if it was Daphne or um, Josephine, but, like, whoever plays the bass yeah. is, is spinning it around, and, like, they're doing a bunch of style points, and then <laughs> they spin it, but they spin it too far, and then they just start plucking the back of it, even though there aren't any strings there, and I thought that was the funniest thing on the planet. Oh, Craig. So in the opening scene during the raid, they went to, uh, do you remember the name of the business that the speakeasy was hidden in? I remember the dude's name was mozzarella. They literally named it mozzarella. Yeah. I'm like, (laughs) how do you not immediately catch that as Um, a cop? I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. Italians have different names. Okay, okay, but Andrew, you also have to understand, 1929 Italians were very harshly prejudiced and uh, stereotyped. I, yes. So the fact that the fact that an American cop would hear a name called mozzarella and be like, "That's an Italian word. That sounds good enough for me." Does not does not surprise me one bit. Uh, it goes to show you that this 1959 movie had more uh, Italian stereotypes than it did about gay and homo- gay and trans stereotypes. Yeah. <laughs> it really goes to show something. 
Oh my gosh. There I I just think the movie definitely slowed down for me once they got to Florida and um one of them starts putting on this act to try to woo Marilyn Monroe's character and I'm just like this isn't fun to me anymore whatever no. and then it became then it just became I, a I romance movie been, yeah I think it would have been more fun had it been the two of them competing for Marilyn Monroe's affections not just the one guy immediately getting shoved to the side and playing a background supporting role yeah definitely because they the, that's actually exactly what I was thinking because throughout the entire movie they're on an even playing field and then mm-hmm. one of them dresses up like a millionaire and the other one becomes a scapegoat yep the other one's just i have now become the distraction for the rich old guy so that way we can use his boat when we need to yeah and i don't know i just thought watching them trying to blend in with i thought they just had more chemistry with the band than they did with any of the guys. Mm-hmm. And so like that bellhop that showed up for a few gags didn't care about him. Nope. I, I, at the moment I saw that man walk into the screen on, onto the set on into the scene. You'll get there. Eventually. The moment I saw that kid every single time, I'm like, Oh dear God. It's like the cringe was like already halfway through. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I was pleasantly surprised with how funny this movie was. I was frequently laughing at this movie. Uh, I just, I just really think that it could have had like a stronger second act. Yeah. I never laughed at the movie, but it's also really hard for me to actually laugh out loud at a movie. So I thought it was decently funny. Um, I guess I was o- I was always expecting something different to happen, something more dramatic, something more creative, and they just took the lower hanging fruit at every single point. Yeah, I mean, this movie is old enough to where we can. Did this movie inv- did this movie invent the shooting out of the cake trope? There's no way it did, right? There's no way it did, but like it was among the first. <laughs> That one henchman, he had the world's largest underbite Dude, the whole time. Yes. So yeah, so when he st- uh before we realize that, you know, these henchmen are just henchmen, we're introduced to them as like the mob boss's lawyers through like an intimidation tactic like and these are my lawyers they all went to harvard and then you see this one super rugged like lockjaw person and i'm like that's not even the first time we see him and i'm like this guy is he, from, this guy went to harvard he's one of the we see two people at the exact same time in the opening scene they're the first two people we see in this movie and one of them is this guy who looks like he's actively jutting out his lower jaw as far as he can physically go and then they cranked it another half millimeter forward. And they gave this guy all the lines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Should we go after them, boss? He talks exactly how you think that man would talk. And then <laughs> probably like another half octave lower. Yeah, I know we were talking about Italian stereotypes. Uh, now we're just making fun of this guy with an underbite. Yeah, it's on brand for us. Okay, do you have any finishing thoughts? Okay, I have a lot of thoughts on this movie. Oh, oh. yeah, go off. So, that opening shootout scene when the cops are shooting the their hearse that they're transporting all the booze in, uh, why do they sound like lasers? <laughs> I love... So, Craig, you you mentioned this earlier, the when they shot up in the garage. You know what that was, right? Was that like a historical event that I don't know about because I'm stupid? Yeah, that was the St. Da- Valentine's Day Massacre. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was they, okay, Day. okay. They do reference the name St. Valentine explicitly several times throughout the movie. And it would take a real idiot to not put two and two together. However, when you say St. Valentine's Day Massacre like that, I now put two and two together. It's okay. It's kind of my thing. I drink and I know things. 
He's kind oh, of my shut brain. up. Shut up. <laughs> I, hate I hate you. I need you guys to know that he has a poster of that quote that is he, framed, mind you. He we went so so we lived in Michigan, moved to Virginia. We went back to Michigan and he bought that as like a souvenir. When like on just like a normal visit to Michigan. You could have just bought that online, buddy. Yeah, but I saw it and I knew I'd forget it if I didn't buy it right then and there. Because the ADHD really sucks for object permanence. Do you have anything else you want to say? Uh, can we bring back where we can just ride on the side of cars? Yeah. Just uh, hang off the side, GTA okay, style. Okay, what we, d- what we need is places where we can do that. Because obviously, mm-hmm. can't do that downtown. Or, no, I take that back. Downtown is the one place you should do that. Yeah, downtown's okay. like the perfect place for that. I meant to like, say on drop the highway. It down to like, yeah, highway is a no-go, but... But, like, I... we need to have magnetic handles for that. Just things that mm. I can loop my entire arm into. So that way, if I were to fall off, instead of me dying, I just dislocate my shoulder. Yeah. Uh, I the Another thing I want to bring back is... uh hats i just want to everyone be wearing hats all the time now you can andrew no one's stopping you from wearing a hat my face is stopping me from wearing a hat see my hair is stopping me from wearing a hat when i have long hair it looks stupid when i have short hair it looks stupid so maybe it's just my head it's like i want to be able to wear like bring back the classy hats and like i i i wouldn't be opposed to sprucing up our everyday attire so it's a mm, comfy clothes are have, so nice though. Yeah, but it, I, we definitely have the technology now to make nice looking comfy clothes. But then that'd be expensive, Andrew. Not if that was what everyone was doing. Okay, hear me out. This is what we've been trying to get rid of capitalism for decades now. This is how we do it. Alright, we convert to socialism. Everybody gets comfy, classy clothes. I'm all for it. All right. Um, overall, uh, I had a fun time with this movie. I laughed more than I thought I was going to, and it it dragged, but you know most movies do. Yeah. So I cannot say that I was disappointed by this experience. I I definitely think the first half was better than the second half. Uh, it was an it was an all right movie. I don't regret watching it, but I definitely don't plan on watching it again. I'm going to give this a seven and a half out of ten. I'm going to give this a flat seven. Oh, okay. See, Alex is usually like, I don't regret watching it. Four out of ten. <laughs> I'm. It's like, it's not a six. A six feels too low for me. Even like a six point. So I have this thing where I feel like a six point eight is a lot closer to a six point two than it would be to a seven point two. Okay. So because it's got that six in front of it, so Oh yeah, that, it's the concept of primary It's the concept of paying three ninety nine as opposed to four dollars. That essentially. And so I don't think it's worthy it's like a high six is probably more how I feel about it, but I don't because it has that six in front of it, I don't like putting that six in front of it, so I'm giving it a seven. Okay, fair enough. Andrew, would you yes. like to welcome back our non-movie listeners? Hello, non-movie listeners. I don't blame you for not watching this movie. Okay. If you want to, go ahead and you can re-listen to the first half hour of this movie, of this podcast. Sorry, this is not a movie. There's no visual component. To this mode of entertainment. Are you ready for the improv segment? As I will ever be, brother. Okay, so this is an improv segment called Movie Style. What's going to happen is I'm going to pitch you um, uh, like a general plot or like a theme and a genre. And you're going to... Pitch me that movie, 
but I can stop you and throw you little curveballs to make it better or worse, and you have to go with that. All right. Um, Andrew, would you like to give me prompts first, or do you want to give your pitch first? I would like you to feed me prompts first. Okay. I want to hear about a popcorn action movie that's we're gonna flip the taken trope on its head and instead of someone stealing your daughter your daughter has kidnapped somebody and you need to stop her oh i was when you said flipped i thought you're gonna do it's not a father trying to take back their daughter it's their daughter trying to take back their dad nope way darker than that all right so your daughter is the villain in this one all right Mm -hmm. all right i want to know what actors are going to be in this i want to know your three-act structure, give it to me. All right. Well, first off, popcorn action movie, it's got to star Mark Wahlberg. He's in every popcorn action movie nowadays. He's the new he's the new thing for those. First act is going to be a lot of father-daughter scenes. It's going to be take, taking her out to the lake. I, feel, I picture her as a real tomboy, a real daddy's girl. She's fixing cars with him. She's She's going fishing. She's doing attached at the hip ever since she was little. And she goes off to be her own adult. And at the, so she gets hooked in with the wrong crowd. She starts boosting cars. She's the one who tears them apart. She's in the chop shop for them. And the cops get uh they raid the chop shop and she winds up taking a hostage and now she's on the run from the cops but mark Wahlberg's character is the cop that has to chase them down and he knows all this but it's his job he's he's got to rescue the hostage uh who, the daughter is going to be played by who who plays Arya Stark Oh, Maisie Williams. Maisie Williams. Yes, Maisie Williams is the, is the daughter. She's the one who's kidnapped the the hostage. Um I'm going to throw I'm going to throw a little plot twist towards you. Uh Mark uh-huh. Wahlberg doesn't care if his daughter makes it out of this alive. Well, of course not. It's like yeah, she, he raised her but he he crossed that she crossed that line. It's like he raised her this whole time. It's like people's lives. It's like you can't mess with other people. You can't commit crime. You can't mess with other people. And she crossed that line. So she, in that, in his eyes, she's now no longer her little. She is no longer his little girl. She's just some criminal who needs to be taken down one way or another. The I I picture. The second act is your normal, like, chasing the bad guy scene. They they keep jumping from location to location. Maybe they start in, like, Chicago or something, because every Mark Wahlberg movie has to involve Chicago <laughs> in some way, shape, or form. And they just hop around on the with Mark Wahlberg chasing Maisie Williams around. And uh, at the end, I picture this final scene of just Mark Wahlberg pointing his his firearm at his daughter and he has that slight moment of hesitation and in that slight moment of hesitation his no-name partner who's been nothing but comedic relief the entire movie pulls the trigger and oh i imagine i imagine the build-up to this scene is like Mm -hmm. every time they're in the car and they're chasing her he says something like 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 you get like you aren't thinking of like shooting your daughter, are you? Like, like she's your daughter. Like he's the one that's trying to remind him of the familial bond. Like he's the one that's like, Hey, go easy on her. But in the end, he's the one that ends up killing her. So that way, and he can justify, like he can do a one liner where like he shoots her and then he's like, I did it. So you wouldn't have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I picture the name of this movie is like Daddy's Girl, and the one-liner is that like typical like roll credits is like it's so that way she can still be Daddy's Girl. Okay, yeah, this is a good movie. I, I might I, 
listen, get the right director attached to this, might watch it. Put Michael Bay in charge of it. Uh, get anyone other than Michael Bay in charge of this. Listen, we all saw Six Underground. He tried to make some sort of an emotional plot. He didn't. He didn't. Andrew, what kind of movie do you want to hear from me? I want you, because I know how much you like these, I want you to write a musical, but I want it to be an old, like, I want someone to age super far, super fast. Like, I want, like, a 50-plus year age, like, they wake up 50 years older. Okay, I see, I see. Like an age distortion type thing. Yeah, like a 13 going on 30, but, like, times 100. Okay, well, times, like, no. four, but... Or 100, your call. You're the one writing this movie. <laughs> okay, Rent 2. <laughs> um, So, this movie is going to star all the musical powerhouses of our generation. James Corden, Zac Efron, James Corden, Andrew Rannells, and James Corden. Uh-huh, yeah. And... <laughs> I, I um, like how there's... It's all males. No females at all in this. Andrew, Andrew, you have to understand the musical theater community is the most diverse community of white straight male you will ever see. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, so I, I think this movie starts with um, the kid from now I'm blanking on the name. His name's Jacob Tremblay. I don't remember what movies he he's from. Um yeah, so it's so we start with Jacob Jacob Tremblay, the m- most famous kid right now, and he, the opening number is this amazing, colorful, like um, embrace of life, um, and he's just a happy-go-lucky kid, and every day he considers a blessing, and then when he goes home, he finds out that his dad has died. And and in the grief of um, losing his father and not being able to process this emotion, uh, he he goes to bed. And when he wakes up, he wakes up a 65 year old James Corden. All right. And um, there's a very beautiful um, soliloquy of mourning as James Corden realizes that time has passed all around him and in his group because he's not actually um waking up 50 years time traveled you know but what we see is he was in grief for so long he never learned to accept um the passing of his father that life basically slipped him by he never did anything more than go through the motions and it takes um him finding new younger friends in Zac Efron and Andrew Rannells to uh, uh, yeah so just to get this straight he essentially just went 50 years like with everything on autopilot yes and just like his next memory his next like active conscious thing is 50 years later that is correct all right all right and so uh, he has like this like moment of realization and he like tries to do all the things that he did when he was young. Like he tried, like, he's like, oh, I did like, I never, uh, I never partied. I never did any drugs. I never like had a casual romantic life. And he tries to do all of those things, but because okay, he's so, so quick yeah. question, mm-hmm. does he remember anything from the last 50 years or is it just literally his brain shut off and his body kept going? Or is it like he, like remembers it and just regrets not doing anything i think it's a little bit of both like he had enough cognizant ability to like get a job and move to a new house and so so is it gonna be like click where in those years where uh adam sandler fast forwards his body just goes on autopilot and does what it does and what a pull what a pull yes of course it's like that all right so if we're if we're going to continue the click reference is there also going to be a way for him to go back and fix his mistakes nope not nah. right. yeah and so i so him and his bro pals do 
um, a few power ballads, a few energetic dance numbers, and help James Corden uh, move oh. past the death of his father. Yes, Andrew? Quick question. Where's the love interest in all this? There's got to be a love interest or else you're not going to get nearly as many people. Andrew, the this. love interest is to learn to finally love yourself. Yeah, that's not going to work for me. There has to be some sort of sexual tension at some point. Okay, so... Um, after, like, the, towards the end of Act 2, um, James Corden meets, um, the daughter of one of his father's co-workers, mm-hmm. and this, of course... And how old is this person? 40. Same age as him? Nope. 15 years All younger. Right. All right. We gotta have that slightly uncomfortable age gap. All right. And, you know, they... Uh, but, like, the memory of her also reminds him of the memory of his father because, like, of the of the three degrees of separation and whatnot. And he has to yeah, move yeah, past yeah. that through the power of song and friendship. And um, that's all I'm going to say about this movie. You see it in theaters, June 2024. What's this movie, you ask? Yeah, bad. What is the title of this movie? It's called Bad. Just Bad? Mm-hmm. All oh, right. Down Bad. It's called Down Bad. Down bad. All right. Yeah. All right. I see. All right. Well, that was movie style. Um, hey, Warner Brothers, pick up these movies or you're stupid. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's move on to the middle segment. Now, this is something that we've never done before in the sense that somebody that's not me or Alex brought the middle segment. So, mm-hmm. Andrew, so, take it away, I guess. So, this is Whose Heart Is It Anyway? In a very direct information from whose tagline is it anyway. So, some of you might not know that I'm a big fan of the trading card game Magic the Gathering. I think it is far superior to any of those other trading card games like Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh! They can all he... go burn in a fire for all I care. He has lost more cards than he has, if that puts any perspective on anything. So, I have accumulated some names of cards, some gr- some groupings of Magic the Gathering cards, except in these groupings, one of them's not real, and Craig's probably not going to be able to tell which one's which. So, this first category is going to be probably one of the easier ones. And this is going to be the lands. Just for some background knowledge, there are fi- there are five colors in Magic, and each of those colors has a corresponding land to them. So, Craig, these lands, I'm going to give you three of them. Swamp, ocean, and forest. I know. Black, blue, and green, respectively. I know I'm going to say this, and I'm going to sound like an idiot. I know Swamp is real. Because I've played... I can count on one hand the number of times I've played Magic, but I have played Magic. And I feel like Swamp and Forest are good. So I'm going to say Ocean is the fake one. Good job. It's islands Mm. that represent blue mana. Yeah! Alright, so... In in most good decks, you're going to need creature cards so i'm going to go into a little bit more detail on some of these creatures because it's not just a picture of a cool landscape essentially on these cards so there is shivan dragon it is a for four generic mana and two red you get a five five flying dragon that for that has an activated ability for one red mana. It gets plus one plus O oh until the end of its turn. Did not know that I was going to have a whole freaking character description to deal with. But okay. Oh, yeah. uh, I now under- got... No, you go. My thing was stupid. Carry on. No, I want to hear your stupid thing. I was going to say, now I understand why you were concerned about doing more than five of these. Uh-huh. Uh, we got Sarah Angel. It's a... It's three generic and two white for a 4-4 flyer with vigilance, which essentially means whichever 
flying means that it can't be attacked, blocked by anything without flying or reach. And vigilance means that it doesn't, what it's called, tap when it is attacking. And then we have Blooded Vampire for three, a black, and a black. It's a 4-4 with Death Touch, which means that it kills anything it does any damage to. And Life Link, which means any damage it does, you gain back in life. Which one's fake? Okay. I think so the angel... Dragon. So I'll go over it real fast. You have Steven Dragon, Sarah Angel, and Blooded Vampire. I think the angel, good. Cool. Mm-hmm. And I think the vampire is good too. So I think the sh- she, but the word sheaving is so weird. But I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna go with it. Yeah, I'm gonna say sheaving dragon is the is the fake one. The blooded vampire is the fake one. Dang it. Sheevan, so sheaving dragon and Sarah Angel are two I do not care. Old, okay. <laughs> uh, they're just two of the they're two of the oldest magic cards that continuously get reprinted. So there's a long history with both of those cards. Uh so another category of cards is uh instance. They're super fast, super quick spells that let you do anything at any time, essentially. Give uh, them to me. Uh, the yawn is not got, indicative of how much fun I'm having with this segment. Carry on. There's Counterspell for two blue mana. You can just counter a spell. You can just say no. That has to be real. There's Lightning Bolts, which just for one red mana, you just get to deal three damage to whatever you want to deal damage to. That one's up in the air. And then you have Life Drink, which for two white mana, you you just gain three life. Yeah, Life Drink, cool as heck. Lightning is the fake one. Life drink is the fake one. Lightning bolt That's is That's such a real. cool idea. <laughs> there are cards that have similar effects to life drink, but life drink is the fake card. Dang. Uh, two more. Two more. All right, we're gonna go into the more interesting ones then. All right, we're gonna go. We're gonna go into planeswalkers. I'm not. Uh, these are gonna be more character descriptions than actual physical card descriptions. Because a lot of these planeswalkers are big into the in the story of Magic the Gathering that's overarching through all the different sets. We're gonna start off with Masan. He's a serpent that often represents black mana, and he uses poison to hunt other planeswalkers. Okay. Uh, then we have Gideon. He's a Leonin, also known as a lion person. And he's also you know, a I kind of gathered that. I'm just saying it for people who don't know. But he's a companion and tra- often is a trainer to other newly fledged uh, planeswalkers. And he, uh, he represents a lot of white mana, but he's also started to integrate some green mana into his... Uh, Oh, like now he's uh, like he was on like a vegan diet, and now he's letting himself be more vegetarian instead. Essentially, okay. And then we have Ugin, who is a ghost dragon. He's one of the most powerful planeswalkers in all of the multiverse, and he's actually the brother to the big bad. Uh, he's represents colorless mana, so like mana that's just essentially magic it doesn't have a specific flavor to it um the first one is the one that i recall the fewest details about despite the fact that you read it a minute ago and based on how nope for you nope okay based on how forgettable it is i'm gonna say it's that one well you're right it is Mm. (sighs) i'm not saying that your card writing skills are forgettable i'm just saying right you're no professional I'm not. So we're gonna go last round. Final round. Final round is gonna be uh, legendary creatures. These also tend to be prominent in the stories that Magic likes to tell, but they're not gonna be the ones that overarc story to story. Okay, so just to set the stakes, I am two and two right now. This is the game maker right here. So first, we have Ulamog, the Ceaseless Hunger. 
he ravaged the plane of Zendikar with his two brothers. He, they are indestructible. They are almost impossible to defeat. It takes extremely powerful magic to even just seal them away, and they actually cannot be truly killed. Then we have Halantid. He is a shapeshifter. He's a god from the plane of Theros that represents the he's the trickster god of that plane and just is known for causing mischief and being kind of like how everyone pictures Loki to be especially after the MCU uh and then finally we have the Gitrog monster which is just a giant massive frog that okay. just so is all consuming hear- so I could hear the smile on Andrew's face when he said that name, which means one of two things that are not going to help me either way. Either one, he wrote it himself and he is very proud of the creation he has made. Or two, it's just his favorite card and it's a cool monster. Uh, so which is it? Is it the Gitrog monster, Ulalog, or Halantid? Which one is Halantid? Is he the Loki He's- one? He's the trickster god, yeah. Okay. I'm gonna say it's that one, yeah. You are correct. Halantine mm, is the fake mm, one. Mm, mm, mm. I am so good at this. 60%. That got me through high school. I'm counting it as a win. Alright. That I was... I believe it's time for the one-hit wonder now. Yes, that was whose card is it anyway. If Andrew ever comes back, maybe we can do the other cards he wrote. But until then, we have to do our one-hit wonder, and I'm calling this Bright Ideas. What? So basically what's going to happen, um, one of us is going to start an idea, the other one is going to add on to it, the other one is going to add on to it again, and then the other one has to pitch it to like Shark Tank, basically. So, okay, so, it's, so it's... How many times do we add on to it? So basically... I I would say a light bulb, and you would say, um, that is neon, and then I would say that breaks after two days of using it, and then you would have to sell it. So the okay, person, so it's a base idea plus two modifiers, and then a pitch. Yep, and we'll probably just do this once each. All right. Do you want to start, or do you want me to start? You can start. Okay. Um. The. Base item is a running shoe. Alright. The problem is, is that they only come in for your left foot. And they're made of metal. Alright. Sharks, it is a pleasure to finally be in front of you guys today. You have no idea how long I've been waiting for this. See, I have this real issue where I favor one leg over another so one shoe tends to wear out a lot faster than another so my idea for me it's my left foot that wears out so much faster than my right so i'm constantly needing to buy new shoes when i only just need one and so today i've come to pitch to you the everlasting left shoe It is a left shoe that is made for running. It is designed to withstand miles and miles and miles upon running hard impacts on all terrain. Grass, sand, cement, asphalt, any surface you can think of. And how can it do this? It's because it's made of metal. Specifically super light but super durable titanium. It's what they used to make the SR-71 Blackbird out of. It's a dang cool metal for a dang cool plane. And it, quite frankly, a dang cool shoe. You'd be a fool not to invest your money into this. I am looking for $100,000 for a 1% stake in my company. And you guys would be fools not to take it. Alright. Um, my name is Mark Cuban. Uh, not because uh, he's the only shark that Craig knows the name of. But because... Uh, Actually, that's exactly why. Uh, this is Mark Cuban. Um, and purely because of your presentation, and specifically the reference of military equipment and also the use of the word dang, 
four times in a row, I'm going to reject your offer and give you a counter offer. Instead of the $100,000 for 1%, I am willing to give you $5,000 for a 90% stake in your company. Deal. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right, Andrew, give me your base idea. Uh, I want you to create a new video game console. All right. And this new video game console is palm-sized. But it only... The games are only 100 gigabytes plus. Sharks, my name is Craig Wells, and I'm here to pitch to you the most leet item in the gaming market right now. Look at the consoles that are on the market right now. We have the Xbox Series X. The, the console that was made fun of for looking too much like a refrigerator. We have the PlayStation 5 that looks like it can transform into a fighter jet and take off at any moment. I have something different for you. I have the Palm console. Uh, a console that fits in the size, in, in the palm of your hand. Now, it's not a mobile device. No. Um, it may fit in the palm of your hand. Still weighs like 15 pounds. Uh, because we do have to fit a lot of storage on there because all the games are so incredibly high rendered, are so high quality, they are over 100 gigabytes every single time without fail. Last of Us 2, 140 gigabytes. Life is Strange 2, 139 gigabytes. Minecraft 2, 400 gigabytes. So not only are we ensuring that um, people will have an elite gaming experience, we will also be able to diverge those assets into external hard drives and storage units. Now, Sharks, I am asking for $1.2 billion for 15% in my company. Yes, yes, Mark Cuban here, because this Totally because Mark Cuban's the coolest out of all the sharks, and not the only one that Andrew knows as well. <laughs> but how much do these consoles cost? Well, it costs us about $45 to uh, make one from start to finish, including materials and exploited labor cost. So, of uh, course, because I, it is $4,500, we get... A 100% markup increase. I see, I see. Yes, yes, of course, of course. Um, I just want to make it clear that neither... We know Mark Cuban by name. We do not know how he talks. <laughs> you see, I'm... Me, as Mark, Cu me, Mark Cuban, I've always been more of a real sports person. I own a basketball team. So I've always been more of a real sports than an esports kind of guy. And uh what basketball team is that, Andrew? <laughs> I think they're in Texas. <laughs> Couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you. <laughs> Couldn't tell you. Alright. <laughs> Couldn't tell you. So for that sole reason that I am solely a IRL sports guy and not an esports guy, I'm out. Okay. Well what about you? Um Google.com <laughs> The problem uh, is, is are we doing it in a season where it's sharks. the H, where it's the like the bull shark? Channel? Nope, those are real sharks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Mister Bull Shark. I'm sorry, Kevin O'Leary. Is he the bald one? Couldn't tell you. Yes. All right, well this bit's dead. So, um, yeah, that was our one hit wonder. That was it's never coming back, whether you like it or not. Uh, I feel like you. it's probably for the best on this one. Eh, we'll see. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the Permanent Good Podcast. That is the end of our program. Andrew, do you have anything that you would like to plug? Um, I am a recent recipient of my second round of my coronavirus vaccine. And if for whatever reason you have any qualms about going and getting that vaccine, I highly recommend it. It's like safe. It's safe for you, safe for, and it's just added safety. It is added safety for everyone around you. Yeah, he came good... back from getting, he came back from getting his second vaccine and like his muscles were like 14 times bigger. 
Oh, only 14? I thought it was more like 25 times, but you, well, you're the external, so I'll yeah, go with your number. Come on. Be a little modest for once in your life. Why would I do that? This is the first time I've ever been on a real public platform. I gotta take this advantage while I got it. Alright, Andrew, anything else other than common decency? Uh, unfortunately, I do not. What about you, brother? Uh, you can always follow uh, the podcast on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Permanent Good, G-O-O-D-E. And you can follow me personally at Permanent Handle. Uh, next week, we are watching The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly as our Thank 60s movie. Know. Yeah, for Decades Month. Uh, otherwise, I think that's it. My name is Craig Wells, a.k.a. Permanent Handle. My name is Andrew Wells, and you have no idea how many times I looked in the direction of the room my brother's recording in as an attempt to look at him during the conversations. Did not do this once. We play Xbox every day. He never does this. Have fun, be safe, and make good choices. I will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.